Good evening. Good evening again. Um, if you'd like to follow along tonight, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at several accounts of Jesus' miracles. So don't get too comfortable there. In many ways, uh, the lesson I've prepared this evening will be uh, an exercise in page-turning. So I hope you all are excited for that. Starting in verse 21, uh, and to add some context, this is very, very early in Christ's ministry. The earlier verses in this chapter uh, say that this is, you know, after John has been arrested, uh, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and then the verses immediately preceding this, he is called James and John to follow him. Reading now from verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you done? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teacher, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So we see here Jesus teaching, encouraging, sorry, encountering a man with an unclean spirit, casting out the spirit, and then the people spreading news, and then people spreading news about Jesus' power and authority. And there is a ton that you can unpack and learn from this passage. Uh, it was a couple weeks ago. On a Wednesday night, we had a speaker from York University. He, uh, he spoke on the account of, of Legion, uh, that demon, and that would be in Mark chapter 5 that that account was, and how uh, Christ casts out Legion, and the demon then enters the herd of pigs nearby, right? And he stretched that into right about 40 minutes. Um, we're not going to do that this evening. We're just going to take one thing and breeze right on past. So look at the end of verse 23. Uh, and we're going to go through verse 25. I want to focus on the interaction between Jesus and the unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The spirit recognizes Jesus. He knows who he is and what he can do. Jesus then commands the spirit to be silent and cast him out. Now, I think I've, I've probably read or heard this passage a few times in my life, but a few years ago, I took note uh, in, of a few verses here. Um, as I read in my Bible, I usually highlight the verses or passages that I do not fully understand, and this is one of those verses. I probably have a very basic understanding of possession if you have a person, a demon or spirit can inhabit that person and influence or control their thoughts and actions. 
It never sounds all that pleasant. Uh, and so the solution to that is to cast the demon out. And we see this happen plenty of times in Scripture. And so when Jesus commands the demon to come out, that makes sense. I follow what he's doing there. But why the command also that the spirit be silent? At a glance, it's interesting to me that this command immediately followed the revelation of Jesus' identity by the unclean spirit. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, before we read too much into this one exchange, let's look at another. We're just going to go a little further in this chapter here. Look down to verse 32. Uh, This is taking place at the house of, of Simon and Andrew. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And that last part of verse 34 is crucial. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So in my mind, that's tying together recognition of Jesus as the Holy One of God, the Christ, with the command to be silent. And it is not only the demons who are issued this command. Still in Mark 1, look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and said, and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. Not a demon account this time. We're going to get at least one more of those, uh, but definitely another miracle. Christ healing a man of his leprosy. And clearly this man has heard of Jesus and knows that he has been preaching and performing miracles. And so he arrives with an assertion. You can make me clean. And Jesus does. And again, there's that similar command. See that you say nothing to anyone. On its face, this looks very similar to the command issued in verses 25 and 34 to the unclean spirit. And so at this point, I'm curious if Christ had the same reasoning for issuing the two commands. And what we do not see in this passage, uh, unlike, unlike the two previous, is a statement, uh, or the, the first passage, and also indirectly the second passage, I suppose, um, is a statement from the leper, like that one of the spirit in verse 24. He does not say, I know you are the Son of God, but it is clear that he knows something about the nature of Jesus, enough to say, if you will, you can make me clean. Important thing to consider here, though, the thoughts of God are higher than the thoughts of man. And so we might never fully understand the reasoning behind this command, but there are certainly some things worth noting if we look for that reasoning. One thing to consider, Jesus is not saying... Jesus is not saying every time that he performs a miracle to be silent. Um, There are some instances where he says the opposite. One happens in the account with the demon legion. You can find that in Mark chapter 5. We won't get there this evening. Uh, 
But we're moving toward Mark chapter 3 now, though we're going to head down a brief detour. Uh, If you do a quick scan through Mark 2, notice that Jesus is performing miracles in this chapter also. There's the healing of the paralytic, a man is lowered from the roof of a crowded room, and Christ heals in front of all those present. No command to be silent, but also no blatant recognition by those present that Jesus is the Son of God though he does allude to the idea that he is the Son of Man, which is only subtle in the sense that he is not saying directly he is the Son of God. In addition, his works, the miracles that he performs, reveal some of his divine nature. Of course, Christ is hardly the first in Scripture to perform miracles. The authority with which he speaks is in some ways more revealing. But if you look through scripture, there's never a clean, clear-cut statement from Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. Looking in John 8, in verse 12, he says, and keep in mind he's speaking to the Pharisees in this passage, I am the light of the world. There's certainly implications there in the same chapter, verses 16 through 18. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Even bigger implications there. But the Pharisees clearly do not understand or believe. They ask, where is your Father? And then a moment later he reveals more. Verse 23, he says to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. But the Pharisees do not understand. We see that in verses 26 and 27. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sends me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So my point in this is detour is this, Christ makes it clear who he is, but he never makes it crystal clear. And it would seem that in some moments where it is crystal clear, he commands silence. A passage in Mark chapter 3 will affirm this point. We're going to look now at another account of Jesus casting out a demon, beginning in verse 7. That's Mark 3, verse 7. Kudos if you are keeping along this evening. Uh, Jesus withdrew his disciples to, to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This passage is very similar to that scene in Mark one thirty four. Again, he was recognized as the Son of God and commands the unclean spirits to be silent. We see Jesus being guarded concerning his identity as the Son of God, but I don't want to give the impression that this was a perfectly kept secret. Jesus' divine nature uh, has been plainly stated at this point by both angels and God. If you turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 
32 through 35, we see the angel Gabriel's message to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I would assume that this information was kept relatively quiet while Jesus grew up in Nazareth, especially considering uh, when he begins his ministry uh, there in Luke chapter 4, um, his, his message uh, his messages that are, well, not his message, but uh, one of the things he notes is that a prophet is not uh, welcome in his, his hometown, right? Looking now also, um, Gabriel's, Gabriel's message to Mary first is, uh, is a very clear statement, right, that, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. And it gets even clearer uh, at the time of Christ's baptism. We're going to look at two different accounts in that. Um, you'll find Christ's baptism recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, we are going to look first uh, in Mark 1, uh, looking at verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now I said Gabriel's uh, was almost as close, almost as clear as it got, but this this is as clear as it gets. The Spirit of God descends from heaven, and the Father calls to Jesus His Son, and calls Him His Son. I read I read this while I was preparing, and the wording confused me a bit here. Um, he says, "And when He came out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open." And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son. And so, just to be clear on who, who all witnessed this, um, this, this sounds like almost an experience that Jesus had alone that others might have not seen. Uh, but John's account supplements in a nice way. If you're still trying to follow along this evening, turn to John chapter 1. We'll be looking in verse 29. Note this is an account. This is John the Baptist's account, or an account from John of John the Baptist describing Christ's baptism. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And God bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes 
with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So in so the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is definitely known on the earth, but it's not seen at this point widely believed or confessed. Turn now to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read here starting in verse 13. This is Christ speaking with his disciples. Um, at this point in the ministry, they've seen him heal the sick, cast out demons, and teach in a number of places. Reading now verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So after all Christ has done, the people do not yet understand. Continuing in verse 15, he, says to the, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As I read this, I think this is one of the biggest moments recorded in Scripture and believe in the history of the world. Uh, Man believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we have Jesus' response in verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And following that, one more note in verse 20. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. I mentioned earlier that I had highlighted uh, verses in the Bible that confused me. And so uh, there's, there's another yellow highlight right there. So a few years ago, starting in Matthew, I already had several yellow highlights, uh, which, which had this similar command to remain silent. And with this one, after the confession of, of Peter... I was especially confused. Why, uh, why, after Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, would Jesus tell him to be silent? This, is, this knowledge is a major part of the gospel. I remember after, after I made that confession that, that Jesus was the Son of God, there was no one to tell me to be silent about it. So why is this different? Continuing now in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Christ had to suffer first. We're going to pick up now in Matthew 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. 
And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I shall make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So the question we've been asking, why does Jesus tell certain people not to tell anyone about his miracles or his his identity as, as the Son of God, the simple answer, timing. I read a few commentary notes on, on this subject, and there were suggestions also that this command for silence would depend on, on what region Jesus was in, that there was, uh, that it would influence the, the time and place of his death, and that if he were in a Jewish region, perhaps this, uh, this command would be more prevalent. I didn't do enough research there. Um, what I do know and what I want to conclude with this evening is that the time for silence is long past, by nearly 2,000 years. And we have this news to share. It's worth noting that sometimes when he issued this command for silence, those instructions were not followed. Mark 7, verse 36 says, And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. The time is now to tell others that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let us continue that let us consider this as we move into this week. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. Grateful to be your children, uh, to share uh, in, in your gifts as sons and daughters, Father, and help us to, in the gratitude and the love that we feel, to share this good news uh, with those, those around us, with the world. Father, we pray. We pray that they, through us and through you working in us, that, that others might see, see you and see your Son and see the glory that is there, Father. We, we pray at this time for, for those in our congregation. Um, we, we ask that you would bless them with this message. Father, we pray that you would, you would bless those in our congregation who are, who are sick or hurting. Father, you know, you know what we struggle with, what we all struggle with, Father, and, and despite our struggles, you still love us. And we thank you for that, Father. Bless us now as we, we continue into this week. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.